0: Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just wanna say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Three men were having coffee. One a surgeon, one an engineer, and the third a politician. They were arguing about whose profession had been around the longest. So again, we have a surgeon, an engineer, and a politician. Well, the surgeon spoke first. Well, it has to be mine. For we all know that the Bible said that God created a woman from the rib of Adam. And only a surgeon could have performed that. The engineer hardly took a breath and said, my friend, I cannot disagree more. Back up the truck, just a few chapters. It says that God created the heavens and the earth from chaos and then he turned that chaos into order and that my friend is the job of an engineer the politician smiled and said ah but who created the chaos (laughs) man i really thought i'd get a better response than that (laughs) But in all likelihood, that's really where it all began, didn't it? Again, my Bible says that in the beginning was God and the earth was without form. Everything was chaos. And it sort of seems like that's where we are today. Is that fair? I mean, I hear it all the time. I'm sure that you have spoke about it in some form or another. But a few weeks ago, I said, what? Our moral fabric has been decaying at breakneck speed. I told you that things were once shamefully hidden are now publicly celebrated, fair? And the unimaginables, things that we thought we would never see, at least out in the commonwealth, has now become a common place. Things are a little crazy, aren't they? An unbelievably crazy, but... Let me switch gears and in some ways I'm not, but anybody here likes salmon? All right, there's a lot of godly people in the house. I love salmon. I love salmon. And I could go on and on about the places around Sioux Falls that carries the salmon that I really, really love. But it's really the life of a salmon. I want you to listen in light of what I just said about chaos. It's really what I find how they live interesting. And I'm going to read it because I don't want to miss it. And I want you to grasp this. From conception, an egg, if you will, they immediately start moving downstream. From fresh water, of which they are birthed, to eventually to arrive at salt water, now fully grown. But once they reach maturity, They have this fanatical resolve to go back upstream to their spawning grounds, their source of origin, where it all began. Therefore, braving hundreds, even thousands of audacious miles, their venture is filled with danger as they swim against overwhelming odds. But they swim with a purpose to return to where it all began, at least for them. And the reason why? To give life to a new generation. Trusting, hoping that this new generation will do the same. Did I tell you I love salmon? See, I think what a picture. What a picture of what God has called all of us and purposed our lives to be. So much like the salmon that we too are willing to swim upstream, braving all overwhelming odds to reproduce for the next generation something that's worth reproducing that they too would carry on. Now, if I wanted to get real pointed here, I might say something like this, that maybe they're reproducing the very thing that we actually gave them. We just don't want to admit it. That maybe what we're seeing in our world is the very things that we've been passing on, that it's not so much what we had hoped, it's just basically how we've been living. And maybe our frustration with a younger generation has more to do with our own frustration with ourselves. Now, that's what I could say, but I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> because here's what I always fear. I always fear that the older generation, in their own defense, wants to simply not take responsibility for what the world is. That somehow it has to be this next generation's fault and it had nothing to do with me. Now see, I can say that because if you do anything with history, that's what every generation has done. But it's only those who are willing to step out into the waters. Only those who are willing to take responsibility. Only those who are saying, listen, whatever my world is going through, at least I'm gonna do everything I can to make a difference, to make a change. See, it's only that your neighbor will come to Christ if you will open up your door and at least share Christ with them. Somewhere we've got to take a look at the life of Jesus, who which we talk about, who set in motion something that was set way back with his own people crossing the promised land. Very few people understand the fact that well over a million and a half people came out of Egypt that was only two that God allowed to go into the promised land. He allowed every generation that came out of Egypt to die off, that there was a younger generation that was birthed out in the desert of which only God allowed them along with Jacob or, 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 or Caleb and, and why can't I, I'm totally, and, and Joshua, thank you, but it's Caleb, Joshua. Isn't it fun when your pastor totally forgets what he's preaching about? But, uh, which is... <laughs> Well, I'm going to leave that one alone. Um, but, But it's only two of those that came out of Egypt that he allowed of that original group to even cross in the promised land. But I'm going to remind you, the way they got into the promised land is they would have to brave the waters that were before them. And what most people think is they think those waters were not as dangerous and they simply just walked across it. somehow maybe they were just waist high. But if you know the story, it was God himself who had to what? Dam up the waters so they could cross in the first place, which would be the second time he would do it. But for those waters to dam up and for the difference to be made, that generation had to be willing to step into it. And it's to that that I want to come to, if you've got your Bibles, a very familiar passage that we've come to many times before. If you're new to the church, then this isn't familiar to you. But it's something we like to talk about quite often. And and I I always fear when I talk about it that people hear it, but they don't really get it. So I'm going to tackle this in a different way. Talking about what does it mean to step out into the waters? What does it mean to live a life like Christ? Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to share some things with you. Twice you're going to hear these words, I had it wrong. Twice your pastor is going to tell you, I had it wrong. And so I want you to look at Matthew 9, and I'm going to begin in the 35th verse in a message I've entitled three things that Jesus did. Now I'm going to go ahead and give them to you because you know what they are. But it doesn't really matter what Jesus did unless we're going to turn around and do it ourselves. Please let me say that again. It really doesn't matter what Jesus taught, Jesus did, unless it's going to take root in our lives and we're going to do the same. The Bible has absolutely no authority or power in your life unless it takes your life and moves your life to a life of action. I don't know why we can't seem to understand it. You just as well throw your Bible away, especially in America when the average household has over, if you will, seven and a half Bibles. It really means nothing to have one if it doesn't make your authority and move your life to action. So I want you to to catch that as you hear these words. Matthew 9, Jesus saw people, had compassion, met their needs. Jesus saw people, had compassion, met their needs. Say it with me. Jesus saw people, had compassion, met their needs. That's what Jesus did. But I want to share with you, I had something wrong. And I want to show it to you. Matthew 9, beginning in the 35th verse. Jesus traveled, let me say it again, Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds... He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So he prayed to the Lord who was in charge of the harvest and he asked him to send more workers into his fields. Now I want to show you where I had it wrong. Jesus traveled look at the verse again the beginning. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of that area, teaching the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness when he saw the crowds. Almost every passage begins with when He saw the crowds. Where I had it wrong was was that we assumed that Jesus was doing this, and then he saw the crowds. That Jesus was traveling through the villages. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was healing the people. That's what he was doing. And as he was doing it, he then saw this crowd as if somehow they're separate events. That's where I had it wrong. When you look at the actual translation, it actually says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and saw the people. When he was in the villages, he saw the people. When he was teaching in the synagogues, he saw the people. When he was announcing the good news about the kingdom, he saw the people and he had compassion. And so he healed every kind of disease and illness. Why? Because everything he was doing, Jesus saw the people and had compassion. It's not a separate clause that somehow he was doing this and now he's doing that. This is who Jesus was. And I say that because I have lived in this city for 23 years. I'm pretty confident that if you blindfolded me, I'm always fearful to say this because there's going to be that one person, this is all they'll get. The whole rest of the message, you're going to go, I'll, no, no, I'm not, no, Because no, no, here's what I'm going to say. I'm pretty sure if you blindfolded me, took me anywhere in this city and unblindfolded me, I'd know where I was at. See, now there's one person. Ah, 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 mm ah. You will spend the rest of the message going, and afterwards you'll come up and go, let's try it. You know what I mean? (laughs) As if somehow that's even a point that matters, okay? But here's the thing is, you probably would have an argument. Maybe there is a place you could take me. I'm just posing the fact of what I think most of you feel. We know Sioux Falls. That's my point. Oh, I'm sure there's some places that maybe if someone actually blindfold us, it might take us a moment to sort of orient ourselves. Is that fair? We might even have to walk a little bit and all of a sudden, oh, now I know where I'm at. But we know this city. But doggone, I've not seen all the people. I've been all over the lanes and the highways and I've been in so many places and how many times I didn't see anyone. And I wonder if you feel the same. You're all gonna leave me all alone up here, aren't you? (laughs) No, no, I see them all the time, trust me. They can't drive either, (laughs) okay? (laughs) That's not what I'm talking about. I've been at a restaurant where the service was poor. And I just wonder if like me at times, I saw the service was poor. I didn't see the waitress as a person. Maybe like me, you've been in traffic and someone cut you off. That's a person behind that wheel of that car. Shocking, isn't it? But I wonder if like me, you didn't see them as a person. You saw them as an annoying, frustrating. Maybe like me, you've stood in a line and, and you're in a hurry and there's that person up there talking to the attendant and they're carrying on a conversation which you could highly, un, really don't care about. And like me, I didn't see them as a person. And that's where I got it wrong because what I discovered in studying this passage even more, it wasn't that Jesus was doing this and then he did that. It's just what he did. As he's going through the city streets and all of these towns and these villages, he sees the people and he has compassion. In every moment of every breath and everything he did, wow. Wow i never made that connection, but it was so convicting to me as I'm realizing how much have I been doing this and then I did that as if somehow in this room is where I do my Christian thing and then when I get in my car and I leave, now I get to do some other thing. And what our world needs is what we do here is what we do out there and what we do out there is what we do in here just as this Jesus did. Does that make sense? That was convicting to me, people. It was so convicting to me to realize how many times have I separated the two and didn't even realize it. So caught up in the world that I totally miss being the word. The very thing that Jesus did all the time. I say that because here's the beautiful thing. Even in our lives, in my life, Jesus always sees me, and he always sees you. Isn't that beautiful? See, it starts there, doesn't it, to realize that nothing I do escapes my God. He truly loves me. There's not a breath that I take that he doesn't account for it. And, of course, the scriptures say, not a hair in my head that he hasn't even numbered. And I wonder if he even gave him a name. See, that's beautiful. That's the person I want to be. And I trust that you want to be as well. So I want you to take, if you would, out your notes. And I want to walk through these differently in light of that. And again, I'm going to share with you, again, another moment where I just had it wrong. Here's the first thing. Jesus saw people. Wherever he went, Jesus saw people. Whatever he did, Jesus saw people. And I want you to say it out loud with me. Jesus saw people. I've shared this story before, but let me personalize it in just a little bit different light. A blind man, who, who's, who's, who's talking, going to be talking here? A blind man was once asked what his greatest obstacle was. We just said it. That's the obstacle. And yet how many times have I done that? A blind man I've already put a label on it, which means now my perception is skewed. Does that make sense? Yes. How many times do I do that? The man cuts me off in traffic, and instead of being a creation of God, he is an unbelievable uncreation of God, and I put a label on it without even realizing who the person is and that God loves him. A blind man was asked, What is your obstacle? And he said, It's that right there, that you see me as a blind man. And so what do you do? You instantly decide then how you need to interact with me, as if you know. And therefore you give me sympathy, and I don't want your sympathy, he said, because I'm not just blind. I want you to see me. And who doesn't? I do. I would love people to see me. I wish so often that people wouldn't see me as Pastor Keith. Because the moment they put that label on it, their perception is now skewed. Therefore, they lump on me what they think a pastor should be, how I should interact, what should I say, what should I do? And you feel the same. People all around the world just want to be seen like a child on a playground. Someone pick me, notice me, ooh, over here, see me. They're all around us. Have you ever tried to put yourself in that little overweight girl in fourth or fifth or sixth grade? And she knows that everybody in the school sees her as fat. I just want you to see me. You can't get beyond the size of who I am. And so you hurl labels on me. And you don't know this incredible person on the inside that just wants you to see me. No wonder people chase labels. If I could just be the best athlete, someone would notice me. If I just got the A in the class, someone would notice me. No wonder young people take drugs, their first drink. The power of someone fitting in is worth the risk of the addiction. But now they have just another label, don't they? And they just want to be seen. Someone pick me, notice me. They're all around us, and there's so many of us right in this room right now. It might be the only reason you're here, risking that last chance. Well, even God's people see me. Do you see the power of what it means if we call ourselves a Christian when we run to the door and we miss the opportunity to stay in this room to greet someone we don't know? That's where it all begins, and Jesus understood that. Nothing else matters if you don't see people. They sack our groceries. They sit beside us at work, waiting, wanting, hoping, longing to be noticed, to be loved, to be valued, of which I contend is the greatest of value when you see someone. And how many times have I missed it? How many times have I missed it? Write this down. Light, that's what we're supposed to be, right? Light in the darkness. Light begins with sight. Light begins with sight. Just write that down. Jesus said, if we're going to be light to the world, as he said in Matthew 5, then we've got to open our eyes. That's where it all begins. Because Jesus said what? Because the eye is the lamp of the body. If these are bad, the whole body's bad. Nothing else matters. Our ability to be God's people in our generation begins with our ability to see this generation as God sees them. That's why we need to pray, as Jesus said in John 4, open your eyes. Open your eyes, he says, and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These are people. I'm telling you, the fields are ripe. It's harvest time. They're so hungry. I'm so many things I'm starting to get now. It's harvest time. People want to be loved, they want to be valued, which means it's always harvest time because it's the most inner longing that God gave us. We all want to be it. We all want to experience it. Jesus saw people. Here's number two: Jesus had compassion. Say that with me. Jesus had compassion. Do you know what that means? He really cared. I think that's what compassion is, like he really cared. Now, again, I told you there are two times I've gotten it wrong. Here's the second one. Several years ago, I preached a message to our church planters entitled The Five Challenges That We as Pastors Will Face in the Next Coming Years. You can write them down if you want. I'm going to give you those challenges, but I was wrong. They're not in any order. They're just the challenges that are in the church today that I told these pastors we're going to have to face. We're going to have to experience. We're going to have to deal with. I talked about the homosexual agenda. Now, I'm not here to argue whether you agree it's right or wrong. What I'm telling you is because of where certain people stand in certain issues, it's going to be a challenge in the church. It's going to be there. You're going to have to deal with it. I talked about the fact that giving will be down, which makes no sense to me, makes absolutely no sense to me, that we can build multi-billion dollar stadiums to house an entertainment factory for two and a half hours of our lives, and we're more than happy to give to that, but we won't give to something that has eternal value. I don't get it. We'll make investment in an automobile that eventually you'll have to give to the next generation or you'll wreck. Probably have seen you drive. Anyway, um, I'd leave it in the garage if I was you. But, but my point is, is we'll invest in all kinds of earthly things, but it comes to the church. When it comes to the kingdom, giving's low. And it continues to decline in this country. So I said, pastors, you're going to have to face that. That's a challenge I talked about more people will crave an online experience and then the pandemic happens and it's more than ever. I'm cautious to say that because I'm sure there's people who are watching online and it hurts my heart to think that you will never maybe grace the doors of a church again. I'm not saying that to attack you. I'm just saying that we all want community and we need community. And we're starving for it. So how do we how do we deal with that challenge? That more and more this thing in my back pocket that so often now controls our lives. How do we bring that into ministry? It's going to be a challenge. I talked about the church is more consumer consumerimic consumeristic, right? Than it's ever been, which is true. More and more Christians go to a church for what they get, not what they give, and that continues to rise, which is sad. Which is completely foreign un- it's not even biblical. Why do you go to that church? I like the pastor. So that means when you don't, you're gone. Correct. They just don't say that. I like the music or don't like the music. I like the people or don't like the people. Which none of that is anything to do with Christianity. That's about you. Which we are supposed to die to on the altar. And then we're supposed to think more like Christ. It's not about us. It's what we can give, not what we get. But almost most Christians talk about the things they don't like in the church rather than the one who is the church. That's a reality. Study after study shows that that's going to be a challenge. And of course, the one that's so popular we hear so often are young people. The moment they leave their senior year and go off to college, they drop off from church and almost all never return. Those are going to be a challenge. But I was wrong. Those aren't the challenges. I was wrong, people. They represent our challenge. We only have but one challenge. Do we care? It's the only challenge we have. It's not our political state, it's not about taxes or says nothing that's those aren't our challenges the challenges is do we even care it's nothing around me it's everything within me 1st Peter 4 says this everything in the world is about to be wrapped up so take nothing for granted over and over, I hear people say, we're in the end times. These are the signs of the times. And I'm like, why do you keep focusing on the end times? If these are the end times, and let's get about the business. There should be urgency about it, right? So this is what Peter says. He says, stay wide awake in prayer and watch this. Most of all, here it comes. Love each other. But watch what he says, and I think it gets missed. Love each other as if your life is dependent upon it, not theirs. My ability to love has nothing to do with this. It has everything to do with this and this. How we love your life, my life is dependent upon it. He says, for love makes up for practically anything and everything. The original translation says love covers a multitude of sin. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless cheerfully. Be generous with the different things God has given you, passing them around so all get in on it. If it's words, let it be God's words. If it's help, let it be God's hearty help. That way God's bright presence, God's bright presence will be evident in everything. You know, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was privileged to meet Queen Victoria, who was the Queen of England at that time. She simply asked... William said, what do you believe is the secret to all of your success? Do you know what he said? Some have a passion for money. Some have a passion for things. I have a compassion for people. I just love people. And everything of God begins with that love for people. And everything of God flows from that love for people. Everywhere Jesus went, he saw people, and he just loved them. He just really cared. They just really mattered. They were sheep without a shepherd. But then he says this, Jesus met their needs. Say that with me. Jesus met their needs. He saw people. He really cared. He had compassion, and Jesus met needs. Now, the opening clip was clips, kind of a montage. There's so many more we could have done with it, and, and uh Uh, If you didn't get it, then I just apologize. But it's a movie called Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I don't recommend it for a family viewing, okay? Um, I really have to say that. I'd never seen it, the original. I've watched it every time as it comes around Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's part of that montage of packages of movies like It's a Wonderful Life and all of those things you should see during the holidays. So I've seen it on television, which it was wonderful. So I was like, I got to own this movie, so I bought it. I no longer own it. <laughs> it is really profane, at least verbally. Okay, so I don't highly recommend that you go rent it. All right, wait till it comes out in television. But it's a movie about Neil Page and Dale Griffith. Neil Page being Steve Martin, and Dale Griffith, the former who's now, if you know, died many years ago, John Candy. Neil Page is an entrepreneur. I'm going to set up the clip, and I want you to see it. This is just how we're going to end this thing in a moment. Neil Page is an entrepreneur that travels for business. He's got the suit. He's got the look. He's got the briefcase. He wants to get home for Thanksgiving. And then the weather changes everything. But not just the weather. This is where he meets John Candy. John Candy, too, is an entrepreneur but all he does is sell shower curtain rings. (laughs) Highly successful business, okay? He's starving for attention. He just wants to be liked. He never really tells a lie, he just doesn't tell the whole truth fearing rejection. Steve Martin actually plays pretend like he really cares about him, but he doesn't. He lives an entire movie a lie But it's a comedy, right? I say that to say this, that most people don't realize that our decisions are made, most of them, in our limbic system. It's sort of the middle of our brain. It's the largest part of our brain. It's where we're wired. We're all very selfish as creatures. And sadly, most people live in this place when it comes to decision making. Do you know why? It's called the pleasure place. We make our decisions, most of them, on what makes us feel good. What do I get out of this, not what I can give? For the most part, it's unconscious. We don't think about it. That's why when someone cuts us off in traffic, we react the way we do. That's the limbic system. That didn't bring me pleasure, therefore it's wrong, and then you slam on your horn. That's the limbic system. Sadly, about 9 out of 10, really probably 99 out of 100, actually probably 999 out of 1,000, and it's probably more, live in that area. It's why we have a problem. Because those are unconscious, and we live there, and we allow it to make our decisions because it's all about what we get, how I feel, which is totally the opposite of what it means to be a Christian. That's why Paul says you need to be transformed in your thinking. Well, that requires us moving it to the frontal cortex, That's a conscious idea. All decisions that are made in the frontal cortex require conscious, calculated, intentional thinking. And in a world that likes to live in the middle of the brain where I don't have to think, that's a lot of work. And there's really not a lot of happy that comes from it. Not a lot of pleasure. I say that for you to keep this in mind. Because a clip I want you to see is at the end of the movie. It's a really brief clip. The movie's been over and over, two guys, that one starving for attention, one who just wants to get rid of him. They get to Chicago. They finally get there. Days late. I remind you that Steve Martin just wants to get home to his family. He's not seen them. He loves his family, don't forget that. He really loves his family and his family loves him. But John Candy's been a problem. So they exchange pleasantries, you're gonna see that. And they part ways. And then for a moment you're gonna see the real Steve Martin, because you're gonna realize I finally got rid of Dale Griffith. That's the limbic system. But something happens on that train. I remind you that Steve Martin just wanted to get home to his wife. He hadn't seen her for a long time. He just wanted to sit around a table with his children and some of his extended family and have Thanksgiving. What's wrong with that? And that would have happened if he would have stayed in the limbic system. But he dares to brave the waters. He dares to start swimming upstream. And he starts really moving his thinking to the front part of his brain. And for the first time, he sees John Candy, Del Griffith. And as he begins to see him, as he's replaying these tapes, he starts to really care about Del Griffith. We don't get to see it in the movie, but obviously somewhere on his way home to where he wants to be, where it's comfortable. He must have gotten off a train and got back on another one going back in a direction away from that home. The movie ends after this scene of them walking together, carrying a trunk. The trunk was probably the most significant part of the movie that people miss. Everything that John Candy owns is in it. And it shows them carrying it down a street. And then the next scene is them inside Steve Martin's house. And he hugs his family. And then Steve Martin says these words and most people miss it in the movie. His wife comes down the stairs and he says, smiles at his wife and says, just want you to meet a friend of mine. And she says, it's good to meet you, Mr. Griffith. How did she know his name? Only to the fact that her husband on phone calls had been talking about him. Jesus saw people. He really cared about them. And he just wanted to meet their needs. And John Candy for the whole movie is going, pick me. Someone notice me. 1 John 3 says, let's stop just saying we love each other. Let us really show it by our actions. In 1958, the Ford Motor Company released an automobile that was a complete flop. Some of you already know I'm talking about. $250 million investment that returned a $350 million loss. It was called the Edsel. Been many countless studies of why it was such a flop, but the common theme comes back to this. The executives of Ford sold what they liked and what they wanted rather than what the consumer wanted and needed. And I wonder if the church has done the same this isn't the church people it's a piece of it what we do out there is what matters this doesn't mean anything me exhausting trying to be a better communicator so people like what I say doesn't mean anything our music going to a standard where you really like it doesn't mean anything Length of a service, conditions of this place doesn't mean anything. That's all consumerism. We're no different than the world. But it's what we do every day when we walk those streets and the highways and the grocery stores. Do we see the people the way God sees them? They're people. People that he gave his life for and found joy in doing it. That's what we are. That's the church. Only thing that matters. Jesus saw people. He had compassion. He met their needs. I'm going to invite a group of four people. There's actually five on the team to come to the stage along with the elders in the church. I've also asked Pastor Reed to come, if he would. This Wednesday, there's a flight that will be taking off heading to Liberia. One of them was already on their way there because he's actual Liberian. His name's Jackson. Four more will be joining them this Wednesday. And they're going to be visiting multiple places over there and seeing the work that God has been setting forth. But what you don't know is that a week ago, the leadership of this church, there was a hospital there. It's a hospital that's now lost its water, its resources, its electricity, because it's a poor country. It's a hospital that sees 5,000 patients per month, 825 students in residency, 580 staff, and 80 families that actually make it their home and live there, approximately about 300 people. And the water went dry. And not only did the water go dry, But the electricity completely just shut off. The library government has been watching the work that Celebrate's been doing there, believe it or not. We completely restored a village called Peace Island full of refugees that were escaping the war a little over 15 years ago. And it was in shambles. Children were dying at alarming rates. It's like one out of every five children die by the age of four. It's unbelievable. And actually, my understanding is the number's higher than that. But this church invested in, literally, really the only ones it did, and that is now a flourishing village with a septic system, uh, an incredible waterway, a community center. It's actually beautiful if you saw the, the videos today of when we made that investment and I love our LBA. Doug Morrison, who's away with grandchildren right now, who heads that group. Uh, Nick uh, Ovidin is out in the hills this weekend uh, with his family, so he wasn't able to be on the stage. But they chose to vote. It's about a $200,000 deal. This church wrote the check for 200,000 and said, get that hospital up and running. And I love our church for that. I love our church for that. If you missed it, it's a little over 200,000. This church sent all of it and said, get them the wells, get them electricity, that matters. And the entire government has completely flipped and has embraced World Hope and the work that we're doing there because of what, what we just did. I love a church like that. And this group is going forth And I'm so thrilled. Man, I'm just thrilled. You guys are awesome. So Brent, I think Brent was going to come in here, but he's in, believe it or not, Brent Norgaard is a part of that team. He's in working holding babies right now. So he's probably not in there because your baby's acting up, okay? But I've asked our leadership team, thank you, y'all. This means so much. I've asked that we would reach out toward the stage because Hear this, missions isn't what we do, it's who we are. We don't have a work in Liberia as much as even Liberia has a work here. Do you follow what I'm saying? We love those people. I've gotten to know some of them, they're my friends. Jesus sees them, he cares about them. I love a church that does the same. And I'm asking you to put your hand up and ask Reed if he would lead us in prayer.
1: Just so you know who you're praying for, this is Nathan. This is Megan, this is John. Bren will be joining them and Jackson is already on his way. He is from Liberia and so we're thrilled that he can be part of that team. Father God, we say thank you. Lord God, you always go ahead of us wherever we're at and so Father God, you already obviously are doing incredible work in Liberia. And God, you have people on the ground there that love you with all of their heart. And God, there's so many needs that are being seen God, that there's compassion there, and God, we wanna help meet the needs of, of the people there. But God, we're saying thank you for the way that you've allowed us as a church to be a part of it. God, we ask for the hospital, that the repairs would happen, that the building would go even faster than it is, that, that they would be able to meet the needs there, and God, that that would even open up more doors that we could do and be a part of with the only world hope it in the government and really changing a country, yeah. and that a country would see that you're the answer more than anything else. Father God, we say thank you for the people that are taking time away from their lives and their families to go over there and represent us. God, we ask that you would protect them as they travel, but God, would you help them to see what you see, yes. feel what you feel, hear what you hear? And God, that in doing so, that that we would come, they'd be able to come back and share with us that here's some other ways and here's some things else that we could do. And God, we we, we just pray that over time that we would see thousands of Hundreds of thousands of people come to know you as their personal Lord and Savior because of what we're doing there in meeting needs on a physical level first. Mm -hmm. So, God, we say thank you for all these things. And, God, thank you for the generosity of the people of this church that have done that. God, we pray that every seed that has been sown would produce a harvest, not only that we see, but that would outlive us and be legacy in its return. So, God, we say thank you for all this and bring them back safely. We ask this in your name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 Amen.
0: Amen. I want you to know also, just introducing, this is Christina, this is Eric, and this is Linda. They're part of your leadership team here. Again, there's several that aren't here that are out, if you will, away from Sioux Falls, but it means the world of what you mean to me, you know, in helping me and surrounding me, you know, confronting me when I need it, but your love means the world to me. And church, I want you to know them because afterwards, if you have any questions about the church, that's what they're here for. We want you to know who they are. They'd love to talk with you. They want to hear it. We're united, folks. we got a work to do, and we're on mission, right? Not a field trip. Amen to that? All right. Would you just say thanks to them for stepping out? And God bless you. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.